You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Welcome, welcome, welcome out there and Blog Talk Radio Land and iTunes and over on Rainbow Soul, which is where we started. I want to wish you a wonderful, happy, if you were I am, a rainy Saturday morning, but it's a beautiful day. And I'm going to start with this thought, and it's from Walt Disney. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Common sense, but we can complicate things. Again, the way... To get started is to quit talking and to begin doing, and that's from Walt Disney. And, yes, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show off this shelf, and welcome again to this Saturday. We're in the middle of March, you guys, March 14th, 2020, and we have an impactful author on deck for you, especially if you are ready to thrive She's an empowerment coach and just excited to introduce her to you. But before I do, I wanted to ask you, I keep asking you guys, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Are you one of those people who can figure out who done it before the author, the movie, the play reveals? Isn't that a large part why we go to plays and movies? We want to know what's going to, we could just figure it out before it's revealed. People do that in their everyday lives, start digging into things, what really happened. We do it with so many things. If that's something that you love, I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pro because you're going to get you a healthy dose of suspense with that book, Tight Taught Suspense. But if you also like and value relationships, and there's a complicated father-son relationship, a lot of people don't like the father at the start of the story. I mean, they say some foul things about him. But as you see the story uh, transform and just continue to navigate through their lives, I'm curious if your thoughts about him will change by the time you get to the end of the story. And also there is a soulmate romantic relationship between Raymond, who's the star of the show and Love Poor Over Me, and Brenda, and they meet in college in Pennsylvania. This story tr- goes with them all the way until they reach their their midlife and beyond. If you love love, and I'm talking those, you know you see those old couples holding hands, walking down the street. They've been through a lot, and nothing is going to break up their love. I, you would love this story. And then there are, there are these four friends, this bond of male friendship, which you rarely hear about. You 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 rarely hear people talk about it. If you value these types of relationships and you like a healthy dose of suspense, I encourage you to stop what you're doing and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me now. You can get it in ebook or in print format. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And this morning's off-the-shelf guest is Gina Gardner. Now, Gina is a relationship coach, a two-time number one international best-selling author. Go, Gina. She's an empowerment coach and master NLP. She's a former school teacher and school principal, and she is the founder of the Genuinely TV series. 
Gina travels, speaks, and teaches extensively. And then in addition to her offline trainings, she offers online training and relationship improvement programs, such as the Relationship Bridge. Even more, Gina is the author of the books Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment, Chariots on Fire, The Winning Formula for Happiness and Success, Kickstart Your Career, Eat Well, Live Well with Stellar Disease, and Change 11, Insights into Self-Empowerment, for which Gina is a contributor. Please, please visit Ms. Gina Gardner online at genuinely-u.co. So that's spelled G-E-N-U-I-N-E-L-Y hyphen or dash Y-O-U.co. And again, G-E-N-U-I-N-E-L-Y hyphen Y-O-U.co. Give yourself the chance to meet this amazing woman. We are honored to have Gina with us on Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Gina. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. Oh, we're so glad that you joined us 15 years. We've, I mean, such awesome guests, and it's a privilege to add you to the list of the awesome guests we've had on Off the Shelf. Now, the first Four to five questions, Gina. I ask every guest who comes on because our listeners like to get a little backstory on our guests before I just just start launching into the questions. So to begin, can you tell off the shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? I was born in Manchester and I lived there with my um, my mum and dad and my older sister. We moved when I was five to Stevenage because my dad got work there and then later moved to Essex when I was ten. And by that time, my little brother had joined us. He was seven and a half years younger than me. Um, I wasn't very happy growing up. Um, I find the changes in school a real challenge um, and found it quite difficult to know how to fit in. It wasn't until I started teaching Um, that I really found something that I was great at and that I made fabulous friends, in fact, friends that I have to this day um, and have collected eight godchildren as a result. Um, But growing up was, was, as I say, a bit of a challenge. I had very bad eczema, uh, was a bit overweight um, and just felt as if I was on the outside of things. Well, you know what? We had our guest on last week and then he said the challenges he experienced as a kid he thinks led him down the path that he went down where he now is helping so many others as a child you said it was when you were teaching and things started to open up for you but as a child what did you dream of becoming when you grew up what did you want to be when you were when you were a kid when i was very little i wanted to be a vet um but i soon recognized that i am I would have to put animals down, um, and that, for me, I just wanted the nice bits, really. Um, and then I've, by the time I was a teenager, I knew I wanted to teach. Uh, what I didn't realize is that actually it was going to feel so much like being at home. Um, and initially, um, you know, I just I wasn't sure which subject, but I did know that I wanted to get out there and teach. And so I trained um, in English terms, it's uh, primary, secondary. I think in America it would be, um, you know, children up to 16 or 17. And so I trained for the whole age range. But having done that, I decided to go into, and I think the equivalent in America would be junior high school. 
and, and I just loved it. You, and my sister's a school teacher, and I want to thank you for your service as a school teacher. Now, you started teaching when you were 21. Oh, my God, yep. that is so young. You At first you thought you wanted to be a vet. You started teaching when you were 21. What do you think attracted you to, like, teaching? And is it is it, uh, or if you're from the U.K., is it as, uh, here in the United States, my sister is constantly going to school. You have to get a master's degree. You have to constantly keep your licenses up with trainings. Is it the same way there? Um, and how difficult I, I was it for you then? I think the system here is very different. You train to be a teacher, and then um, you are. Ex- we, we don't get licensed. Once you're qualified to be a teacher, you're qualified to be a teacher. However, you are expected to uh, develop professionally on a continuous way. So, um, going to courses, reading, um, you know, working with other people who are more experienced. Um, that's something that you're encouraged to do. And in in later um, years I became a trainer facilitator for the National College of School Leadership and also for the London Institute and so I helped many young teachers um, but in my early days um, there were opportunities for me to go and do lots of courses in all sorts of things which and I took that opportunity Ah, you, good for you that at 21, when I was researching for your interview, I said, oh, my gosh, she was so young to know. So many people struggle even in their 40s and 50s, and they still don't know what they want to do. Now, how did you feel, uh, as I was researching, some things about you just jumped out at me. How did you feel when you were asked to be the head teacher or the principal? Well, I think it's probably sensible to explain what happened um, I was appointed to be the deputy principal very early. I was promoted very quickly, and I became a deputy principal at the age of 28 um, to the largest school of the, of the junior high version um, in, the, in the district. Um, and for a year, I was the deputy principal. In fact, for three months of that, I was off because I had a really serious ski accident. And it came to the summer holiday of that year, and I was really pleased to get to the holiday. And um, I thought, I've got six weeks now to really get myself um, on an even keel. Ten days into that holiday, it might have been two weeks, but just a few days into that holiday, I got a phone call from the principal's wife very early in the morning. And she'd just found her husband dead in bed. He'd had a massive heart attack. So I was acting principal... um, from that moment and I spent the summer holiday letting everybody know helping her manage the funeral uh, letting the parents know and planning for what we were going to do in September and then I was acting head for um, uh, about six months and I became the permanent head in in the January of of, um, uh, the following January and I can remember now thinking I am determined that the children and the staff in my care are going to have the very best learning opportunity I can give them. I was very conscious of the fact that I'd I'd been unhappy at school, I'd been bullied, um, and I'd worked for two heads or principals that I felt uh, were not good. So I'd had an apprenticeship of how not to do things, and I was determined that that I wanted my school to be different. 
Um, and I was very lucky. I was there for 21 years as the principal, and the school did very well. Um, I ran my school for the most part from a wheelchair, having had um, uh, two failed back surgeries um, uh, following um, the challenges I had from the ski accident. And the gift in that was that I had to develop a way to empower people, to help them take total responsibility for their own performance and shared responsibility for everybody else's. It was very successful. We were on the best 100 schools in England list, which is um, published by Her Majesty's Inspectorate. And I was on the school was on that list twice during my tenure. We were one of the first oh. Beacon schools. And so we worked with hundreds of other teachers and dozens of other schools to help them um, raise standards, particularly around uh, the quality of leadership. Um, and so I was very, very fortunate. Um, but I think much of my approach came from necessity because couldn't physically get into the classrooms. Oh, goodness. What a, an amazing story again. And, and you seem so your experience so right for you to do what you're doing today. Had you already started practicing positive self-talk, even when you, like this head teacher role just came out of nowhere, and I'm, I've actually seen even recently where something shifted and happened and somebody had to step into a role, and they were very reluctant to do so. What made you at that young have like the confidence or I'm going to do it. I am going to do it. This has been presented to me. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to resign. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. Had you been practicing positive self-talk before you were I asked? Think the, this one? I think um, when I was at school, um, myself as a pupil, it was anything but positive self-talk. I didn't like myself. I didn't appreciate who I was. Um, I felt very lonely, and um, I, I, I wasn't very positive at all. However, learning um, to be a teacher and taking up being a teacher, I found who I was. I found something that really made my heart sing, and I started the process of learning to love who I was. And it's been a process. It wasn't an instant thing. I think the thing that helped me most when I became a head teacher was my absolute determination that the pupils in my care and the teachers who worked with me, and actually all staff, not just the teachers, were going to have a, a great positive experience because I didn't want them to experience what I had as a teacher in two schools where there were very poor quality leadership uh, and that the staff worked um, had to work round it rather than work with it. And so that determination that I, I wanted things to be good and I was prepared to do what it took for me to learn the skills to make it so. And I think if you're that determined, it comes back to that belief. If you think you'll fail, then it's a done deal. If you're frightened you'll fail, then you're going to make very, very different decisions to if you know that what you are determined to do is to succeed. You don't necessarily know how, and I'm sure I made lots of boobs, particularly early on, but nobody could in any way um, think that my motive was anything other than good. 
And even if I was clumsy at it in the early days, I think people recognized that what I was um, working on was creating a better way of being, a better way of teaching, a better way of being part of the staff. And it took a while to get people engaged. But I think as people saw that that was what this was all about, that this was about making children's education not only effective but something that they really enjoyed and that they felt cared for and um that you know that things were being done because they were the right things to do not necessarily because they were the easy things to do um that worked really really well and my school was not in an easy area it was in romford which is it's urban it's an area where there's quite a lot of racial tension um, and I was, for, just to give you an example, was absolutely determined that we would have a, a zero tolerance of aggression. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't aggression, it just we would not tolerate it in school. But in order for that to happen, every member of staff, no matter what their position, teaching or not, had to be squeaky clean. It's no good telling the children or the parents, for that matter, who are often more of a challenge than the children, that we didn't tolerate aggression. If any member of staff responded to an angry or difficult parent in an aggressive way. So one of the things that I implemented was training for everyone around how to uh, manage their own emotional state and how to deal with difficult people in a way that was calm and professional um, and so that we could say to the children you don't ever see any of us speaking or behaving in an aggressive way and to be able to say to the parents this is an aggression free zone if you're upset or angry we will listen however we're not going to listen while you're shouting and hollering so come and sit down have a cup of tea. That's very much the English way. Tea solves everything. Come and have a cup of tea. <laughs> Come and talk to us, and we will do our best to help you or to sort it out. We won't always agree with you. We will do our what we feel in our professional opinion is the best thing to do. But make no mistake, you will be listened to. You will be heard. And what we found is parents really responded well, so did the children. Um, the staff had the confidence to deal with sometimes quite tricky situations with parents. And certainly children are children and they would argue and fall out and all of those things. But because we as a staff had such a strong basis for understanding that we were going to lead ourselves lead our emotions and take responsibility for those and for our language and our actions. And because I trained people and gave them the tools with which to work, we could provide a very different approach to the way in which, at that time at least, most schools were operating. Mm, bless you, bless you, and thank you. Now, who or what inspired you to go from the classroom uh, uh, to pursue writing, what birthed your love for, for, for writing? Not only books, but writing. Well, I did it, uh, my, my subject at college was English, so I've always enjoyed writing, although I have to be absolutely honest and say to you, I can't spell for toffees. Um, and 
and but I didn't do any. I mean, I wrote articles and I wrote reports and all, all of those sorts of things when I was at school. I left school in 2004 because of my health. I was given an ultimatum by the neurologist that if I didn't stop working a 15-hour day, which is what I was doing, um, work with great pain control, actually, um, that I wouldn't be able to drive. I had adapted um, a car with adapted controls, that I'd be housebound. And so I took the very difficult decision in 2004 to leave head, uh, being a principal. And then I thought, well, what the hell am I going to do now? Because I wasn't ready for di daytime television, and I wasn't ready to just sit at home and read. I'd got all of these skills, a huge amount of expertise and experience, and I thought, well, what am I going to do now? So I took myself off to do a research project across industries, including retail, manufacturing, um, uh, insurance, finance, um, health, local government, and many more to look at what were the issues that faced them in terms of developing leadership um, from emerging leadership right the way up to senior management. And, of course, they were facing the same things. So I thought, well, in those days, um, schools, we had our own budget. I think my budget was one and three-quarter million. I employed 100 staff. But the corporate world didn't value education um, as a business. So I then decided, well, I needed some credibility. So I wrote my first two books, which were Kickstart Your Career, which is a book yeah. designed for people leaving the world of education and going into the world of work. And it's about how to be the professional grown-up. Because even if you've got a degree and you know your subject well, it doesn't mean that actually that you're the consummate professional. And we trained teachers. We had a license to train graduate teachers at my school. Um, without reference to a university, which is quite unusual. And I, we'd learnt from the number of students that we had come through the school that, and, and young teachers who came not through our training programme but came from other training establishments, that we had to help them be, be professional. So that was book number one. And its sister book, which was written at the same time, was Manage Your Staff More Effectively. And it was a distillation of all of the techniques and the strategies and the principles that I developed with my teaching and non-teaching staff um, and stripped out the very educational language and acronyms. Um, and those books became my calling card. And so for the first few years when I left Headship, um, I worked in corporates doing coaching. I've been a qualified coach long before I left school. Um, and also training and facilitation. And I did that until the recession in 2008-09, when suddenly all of my contracts were slashed because mm. um, corporates just, just stopped doing training and development to save money. By that time, I was working with Essex University in their business school, and they would commission me out to go and work with different uh, organizations, and what I discovered was that I'd go in to work with them about something or other, help them solve a problem. I, having done that, I'd disappear. And then a few months later, they'd invite me back. And what I realized is that these were problems that could very easily have been avoided. And so I started working with businesses um, on a regular basis, working with senior decision makers 
And then depending on the business, sometimes with their senior managers, sometimes with all their managers, sometimes with the whole staff, depending on the company and its needs. And I still do that today. You are, oh my gosh, you are somebody, and I'm sure you've had moments, and let me ask you this, because you're definitely someone who, you don't let things anything stop you. I'm just listening to you, and I'm sure our listeners as well, very inspiring. You you said when you were a child you felt like awkward, like you really didn't fit in, but you had this ability to transition and shift through the Great Recession, through your 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 injury through you know going from I I got I I can't do the school anymore due to my uh, my health and then you just tr- transition into different things is that have you ever so I want to ask you this for our listeners who might be struggling with this have you ever had a time when you just felt like I can't do it I just can't do it or I'm going to fail I, I it's just not going to turn out right for me and if so how did you how did you talk to yourself to keep yourself going so you did get around the corner? I think it's really easy when you are listening to the outcome of things to assume that it was easy. And there have been plenty of dark days when I felt sorry for myself and thought, I can't do this. But I do recognize that, you know, I'm the common denominator in my life. I take myself wherever I go, from, and I have done since the moment I was born, and I will do until I die. And for me, it's looking at which do I fear most. Do I, because it's not that I don't feel fear, and it's not that I don't struggle to know, will I manage this? But the staying stuck. So let me give you an example as I said to you, I, I've had times where if I was at home, the only thing I could do is to watch telly. I couldn't make myself a cup of tea or coffee unless somebody let, put the cup down. That, for me, is far more frightening and far more deadly than getting on and doing something that I was good at, that I loved, that made a positive difference. So for me, it was a no-brainer. Why would I stay doing something, in a, in a, keep stay in a situation that I... I really didn't like that I was fearful of, more fearful of getting out there and trying. And I think, you know, for the listeners, I would say to you, the only thing that you have to fear is fear itself. Churchill said that during the Second World War, and it's really true. I've done a lot of studying of highly successful people, and the thing that defines them is not that they don't struggle, because they do, or that they feel fear, because they do, is that they fear the not trying and the the outcome of not trying more than they fear failing, because what they see is failure is an opportunity to learn and develop. Mm. And it's easy, as your listeners are listening to me, to think that, you know, this finished outcome was something that happened without trial and error, without failing, without you know, not managing it. I mean, I've learned to walk twice as an adult. I have to tell you, it's so much easier when you're a baby. Not only are you closer to the ground and your centre of gravity is lower, but when you watch babies learn to walk, not one of them thinks, do I look silly? Does my bum look big in this nappy? Will people laugh at me if I fall over? They just want to do it. And it's a great metaphor for life. If we stop worrying about what other people think, will we look foolish? Will we be able to manage this? 
and just give it a go, but really give it a go, then the chances are all of us would succeed more. Mm. And so and you... it's have knowing that life is going to offer you knocks. It's going to offer you challenges. But it's not the challenge that defines you. It's what you do with it. So I could have said when I left headship, do you know what? I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to focus on what I can't do. I'm going to focus on the fact that I can't walk. And at that time, I couldn't walk at all. Um, I'm going to focus on the fact I can't reach cupboards that are higher than, than, um, than, than my arms can reach. I'm going to focus on the fact that I'm no longer doing a job that I love. I'm going to focus on the fact that the world has taken, you know, life has taken all of these things away. Or I could focus on how do I make the best of every day? How do I focus on the good things in my life? And so learning to collect gratitudes, to go through the day and to enjoy those little things that, you, that really help your life. So for me, great plumbing. It's a really good start in the morning. Nice hot shower. And to appreciate the fact that I've got hot water, that I've got a clean and pleasant bathroom. I love the natural world. It's springtime, and every time I go into my garden, I wish you could see it, it's full of spring bulbs and camellias and wagelias. It looks so pretty, and I can really focus on those things because even if I couldn't walk, the bulbs are still going to come up. Even if I can't walk, I can still have a nice cup of tea or enjoy the fact that somebody's phoned me and said hi. That's our choice. We can focus on the negative or we can focus on the positive. But what I realized, and I'd like to share a story with you, is that all of us self-limit, okay? Now, bearing in mind that while I was a serving principal, I traveled the country to work with other schools. I worked as an advisor for the, uh, the government. But what I always did is that I had the same driver would pick me up from home with my wheelchair, take me to where I was going, push me in, and off I'd go. They'd then pick me up at the appointed time and take me home. Now, once I'd left headship, principalship, um, I wanted to learn neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. It's something that I had wanted to do, but I hadn't had the time to do it. I didn't feel it was appropriate to take time off school. So I'd studied it, and having studied it, I decided that I wanted to go and see as many people as I could actually using it. And one of the people I went to see was Tony Robbins, and I'm sure most of your um, listeners are familiar with Tony Robbins. Before I went, my view was huge American, very loud. I think it's going to be lots of hype, and then within a few days that what he's talked about will just dissipate. So I arrived at the Excel Center in London to go to um, and unleash the power within, his three-day program. And when I arrived, there were 10,000 people on that course. That in itself just blew my mind. And in the first morning, he was talking about um, a a program that he was running in California a a few weeks later. And I thought, oh, I fancy that. But I immediately dismissed it, saying to myself, you haven't got an electric wheelchair, a travel chair, which I have now. Um, You're not going to manage on your own. Now, it's silly. Don't be silly. That evening, part of the program was to do the fire walk. Now, the fire walk is where you walk in bare feet over hot coals for about 30 feet. 
And if you're in the right mindset, you don't get burnt. Now, at that time, I'd had a spinal stimulator fitted. We're talking about 2006 here. And I could manage a very few steps on my own to walk. Mm. But with the help of somebody on each side, I managed to do the fire walk, and I was absolutely thrilled. And as I sat down in my wheelchair, the person who was coming next, I was facing them, they were a double amputee. He had no legs below the knee. He tipped himself up onto his hands, and he walked across those hot coals on his hands. Wow. I was just gobsmacked. But in that moment, I thought, if he can do that, I'm self-limiting. I went that Mm. night, I booked my ticket, I booked my flight. I went off and did Date with Destiny in California. I then went and did all of Anthony Robbins' stuff. I became a senior leader and, and went and helped on several events. And since then, I've spoken around the world. I've traveled for pleasure, for work, and I am forever grateful for that man. I have no idea who he is. But I am grateful because what he taught me is the only thing that's going to limit me is me. Wow. And I think disability is a great metaphor for life. Because if you believe that you're not good enough, that you're not rich enough, that you're too poor, too fat, too tall, too young, whatever, you take that belief with you everywhere you go. Mm, At least with my disability, I can get into my wheelchair and I can wheel away. And I have to say, usually at top speed. (laughs) ultimately we're we're thinking about now can you share with us gina uh, an overview a brief synopsis of thriving not surviving the five secret pathways to happiness success and fulfillment what will readers get when they if they get a copy of this book they get a tiny bit of my story but what i realize is that whether people came to me because of personal or relationship issues or whether it was business strategic business development that we actually went through the three part uh, the five pathways whatever happened and so the five pathways are working on your beliefs and making sure that your beliefs are empowering ones not limiting ones the second is around relationships and recognizing that the relationship you have with yourself is reflected in the relationships you have with others. So, And all of these are full of practical strate- principles and strategies that you can employ in your own life very easily. The third is around success. Okay. Now, if you don't know what success means for you, you're never going to know if you've actually reached it. It talks about, you know, are you, are you someone who... Um, is fears failure or do you fear success because either way the likelihood is you're going to sabotage any chance of having lasting and sustained success and so it looks at what motivates you and how you can harness that to help you move forward the fourth pathway is managing change your choices everything we do in life is a choice and every choice has consequences Yes, yes, yes. How you speak, how you act, when and if you do. Um, And all of those choices, you know, whether you take charge of your emotional being or whether you give that power to somebody else. You know, you hear people say, he made me unhappy or she made me angry. Well, actually, they didn't make you. You chose to let them. 
And so it's looking at how you can change your perspective in life, and in changing your perspective, you change the reality. And then the fifth pathway is that around purpose and fulfillment. Because if you're living a life that has purpose within it, living a life that you are living with passion and living it in a full way, then the quality of your life is going to give you great fulfillment. And so the last, set, the last chapter is all about that. But it also explores the, you know, the underlying principles and the underlying, uh, the, the, the connecting themes, you know, how you use language, the power of gratitude, the, you know, that forgiveness is not about condoning or um, about forgetting, but it, forgiving others and yourself gives you the freedom to live a great now and an amazing future. And I work a lot with people who've been abused, who've had one disastrous relationship after another, that have failed time and time again. And through that, give them the opportunity to do things very differently. You know, Einstein's definition of madness was to keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. But we all do it. We do it longer and harder and then wonder why it doesn't work. <laughs> So oh, yeah. the book is very, very practical. There's no jargon. It's an easy read. And it is about how you can step into your genuine power and you can make a difference to the quality not only of your own life but all of the people around you. Mm. So it's, if you like, it's a sat-nav. Well, I don't think you call it that in the States, do you? Um, a navigational tool that you have in the car. I don't know what you call them there. Um, it gives you a sat uh, a sat nav to uh, to negotiate the the journey of life. Ah, yeah. Here's they call them GPS. Your GPS right. system so, and, and to, to teach yes, you. So it's a G- <laughs> to stop you having to go into cold attacks <laughs> and um, to have to keep turning around and to keep going over the round and round the circles. It's to help you move forward. And, and you know what, we, that's something that we all can use regardless of where we are. Because, And then the one dealing with change, because it was a, it was a very popular book that came out years ago called Who Moved My Cheese, about yes, people who book. had worked hard, they achieved these high levels of success, and then everything shifted. And now what they used to do is just not working. And some fault, like, this worked for so long, what do you mean, what do you mean? But the, yeah. those who survived yeah. were those who... They went with the change. They shifted. They, you, it's yes. what used to work is gone. You're gonna to have to do something different now. Now you talked about self-limiting when you talked about the firewalk, and thank you for sharing yes. that. But how can we? And, and is this in any of your books? How can we discover? Maybe we know something's wrong. We're like, I'm, I don't just don't. I feel blah. I feel flat. How, how can we discover what it is? What area are we self-limiting in? What is the belief, the thought we're having that's holding us back? How can we zone in on that so we can, that's the thing we can know to work on? There are lots of ways to do it, but a simple way is if you create, a, write, a, draw a circle on a piece of paper and then imagine it is a cheese and, and, and put lines in um, so that you've got wedges. And title the wedges around around the edge in terms of um, areas of your life. So um, family, work, relationships, um, playtime, if you like, uh, or pleasure, 
um, spiritual development, learning, whatever is important for you, okay? And from the center of the circle, um, put 10 rings. And then from the center of the, color, uh, the circle, think about how, what good a quality you have in that area of your life. Money would be another one. There's so many limiting beliefs about money that, that, that really make a difference to the quality of your life. So 0 out of 10 is no quality. 10 out of 10, which means if you've colored every ring to the outer um, edge of the circle, 10 out of 10 is, is wonderful. And look at the areas of your life which are low numbers. And if you think about that as a wheel, if you had a wheel that was really uneven, it would be a pretty bumpy ride to life, wouldn't it? So that will give you an indication of which areas to prioritize. Um, another way to do it is to just think about your, the things which upset you, the things which aren't particularly successful in your life, the... Um, the, the thing, patterns of negative thinking, negative language, negative behavior. And underpinning those will be limiting beliefs. And it's time mm. to do an audit of your beliefs. You know, if it's an empowering belief, and what my belief is that the only thing that's going to get in the way is me, um, and so ultimately I have the power to decide the quality of my life. Now, of course, there are things I still can't do, although I can now walk short distances. I still use a wheelchair when I go into town or if I travel. So I'm never going to be a ballerina. I'm never going to climb mountains. So I, if I can't change them, I can change the attitude I have towards them. I can't climb mountains, but what can I do? I'm not going to be a ballerina but how can I actually um, give myself things which fill me up, which make me feel good? And a belief is only, it's been installed. Somebody will have said something when you were younger or in your family. Let's use money. How often did you hear when you were growing up, money doesn't grow on trees? Oh, you have to work really hard oh if you want money. Yeah? That must be a very or common don't waste one. that. That costs money, um, and it's too difficult. Most of us, have, well, we've all been conditioned by, in which, by the way in which we've been brought up. Yeah? So I'll give you an example. I struggled with my weight all the way through my, until I was in my late 20s. And one of the reasons, not the only reason, but a reason for it, was that I was brought up, don't waste food. My parents weren't well off. You know, if it was on your plate, eat it. And so I, mm. because I love my pudding, all right, and I could only have pudding if I ate my dinner, I would eat everything on my plate, even when I didn't need it. What I recognized as I got to my late 20s or was, if I'm going to dish something up for myself, I'm going to dish myself up a small portion, and if I'm full, I'll stop. If somebody else dishes it up for me and it's too much, like when you've gone to a restaurant, and I've had enough, I'll leave it. Now, you wouldn't believe how I struggled with that to start with because mm. always I didn't leave home till I was 18 to go to college, and then I went back home to live for a, for a little while. The rule was you don't leave anything on your plate. Don't waste it. 
So part of that was then training whoever was dishing up, please, a small portion. And then I'll go back for more if I need more. So the conditioning that we have when we're little has a huge impact as we grow up. But we don't, that isn't a law. It's not, it's not, it's not the truth. It's a truth. Okay? So change your perception about these things and you can change the belief. Yeah, now, you know, if and you some... believe in a, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. You said if you believe in. Uh, if you believe in abundance. If you believe, you know, that there there is abundance, then it's interesting how you start to attract things in a very different way than if you're fearful that there's not enough. Yeah, we get what we <clears throat> what we focus on. If we focus on things, they appear to get bigger. So if you're focusing on all of the difficulty in your life and the lack, you're going to make decisions based on lack. Whereas if you make decisions, I'm not talking about being stupid, you know, if you're short of money, going out and, and blowing a huge amount of money on stuff you don't need. But if you believe in, in abundance, then you are going to make decisions about, okay, I want abundance, so what action am I going to take to help me take a step closer to it? <clears throat> and it's really interesting how often people who've got very little financially will go and spend money to make them feel better on things they don't need. Yeah. And they'll get into debt, and debt is expensive. So they'll get into debt, and they'll justify the debt. Well, I, you know, I deserve it. I wasn't feeling very good. And I've worked with people who've been in tremendous debt, and then when I talk to them, they smoke. They drink. They go and buy coffee rather than making it and taking it with them. They go and buy lunch rather than making it home and taking it with them. And little actions consistently done can make a really big difference. Mm, yes. Yeah, that I can personally, you know. But the thing is, sometimes it's hard, and I don't want to talk about your book, Chariots on Fire. Sometimes it's hard to tell, and then the circle was one exercise you shared, and appreciate that. It, sometimes it can be hard to tell just what is it. What is that core thought that's holding me back? You have to dig and dig and dig. And sometimes it's just different experiences. It could take years to get that aha moment. Aha, that's it. Like Eureka, now that's I know what to focus on. No, no, no. oh, now I know what to focus that, on. That's the belief. If you believe it's going yeah. to take years and years, it will. If you actually sometimes, say, okay, I what? How about a different approach? How about drawing a line in the sand and saying, I want my future now and my future going forward? Because the only thing we have in reality is this moment now. All right? We don't know what's going to happen in the future, and we can't go back and change the past. We can only learn from it. So how about if you want your life to be different, that you actually, instead of looking at what can I change going, looking backwards, to say, what is it that I want in my life going forward, and what do I need to put in place to make that happen? Then it doesn't have to take years and years and years. You can do it in an afternoon, is to decide what you want, and that doesn't mean it's cast in stone. You can, it, it obviously is going to develop as you go. But if you make the decision that actually whatever else I've done in the past, I want to, things to be different in the future. So what's the person I need to be 
in order to make the future that I want happen. And if you look at it in that way, you don't have to go round and round in circles trying to find it. What you do need to do is to define the quality of life that you want moving forward. But what I would say to you is that's one of the reasons why to use some, somebody like me, because I can help cut through all the, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it, um, the rubbish, I'll use that rather than the word I was going to use. <laughs> you can cut through the rubbish and you can, you can short-circuit the journey. Yeah? And so yeah, I've got so people who come here who've got no confidence, who say, I can't, you know, I'm not able to do this, it's, it's all rubbish, I'm rubbish. And within a very short space of time, if we work together and we work and they use the sessions as the catalyst to practice the things in between, we change huge things. I'll give you an example. I was working in the week with somebody who was abused as a child, dreadfully abused as a child. And when they came, life, they were depressed, they were anxious, everything was about that abuse. Now, really different. Why? Because they've recognized that this is not condoning the abuse at all, all right? It's not forgetting the abuse. But what they are choosing to do is to let go of that and take what they've learned about themselves, that they're a survivor, that they're strong, that they have the capacity to use that as the rocket fuel better life rather than this pile of of heaviness that is keeping them limited. Now, could they have done that by themselves? Possibly, but actually having somebody help them see um, and reflect and change their perspective and giving them tools that work for them has made a huge difference. And that's been done in a three-month period. Mm. That's now they're in their fifties, so oh, they've carried the, oh. that load. They've carried that load for over fifty years. The abuse started when they were three. Wow. Now their quality of life now is very different to three months ago. Mm. Why? Yes, you... because they believe it's possible. Right. Now, speaking of that and, and, and what you just shared about this person who 50 years carried these uh, burdens and beliefs from being abused as a child, and you, you're working with them for three months, and now they're they're starting to have these, you know, eureka, aha moments and change yeah. their beliefs, which change their lives. What is a Thrive Together tribe? What 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 is this? How long has it? Then when did you start it? And just what is it? What is a thrive together tribe? One of the things that I recognised was that people, many many people at the moment, are feeling isolated. Even if they live in families and they've got um, a good partnership, they don't want to burden their family. Um, that they they often feel unseen and unheard and unrecognized. And so I've started, uh, it's an online membership group which meets twice a month on Zoom um, for group coaching. They also get access to a, a structured um, program of self um personal and spiritual development, which is structured with videos, activities, themed journals. Um, and they have the capacity to work with that, but also have the support of the group coaching sessions because I wanted to keep it very low cost. So I think it's $40, uh, $47 a month. 
and they get all of the resources. They get the group coaching. They get um, Facebook. There's a Facebook group support throughout um, so that if things are challenging, they can share it and get help. Um, if they want to celebrate something, the group is there. So it's not just me and my team. It's also the group. And so it's a small group, but it's, it's growing. And the idea is that there are people within that want their life to be better. They want to step into their genuine power. Um, and it's for people who really are ready to take some action, who want things to be better. And I set this up because, yes, I can work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and, and that's great, but there were many people who couldn't afford that. And so this is my way of, of making it accessible to anybody who wants to change their life, who wants to work on themselves personally and spiritually to step into their genuine power. And how through does that, working, instead of just surviving, they will thrive. How, but how does working with somebody like-minded, they're not licensed, or, and, and I've heard of uh, businesses doing it, and I forget what the, the name of it is, but they, they say it's very helpful when leaders come together and they may be from different businesses there's a, there's a there's a term for it but that that's very helpful but for our listeners in what ways does working with like-minded people you're not working with a professional one-on-one -on -one, how does that help everybody in the group to gain uh, like more results faster or just become more aware of things that they might previously have just not seen, not even realized they were thinking a certain way or their behavior was a certain way. How does working in this Thrive Tribe benefit everybody? So remember, everybody, everybody is going through the program, all right? So they are having um, focused um, opportunities to learn. I'm within the group all the time, all right? So I'm there, and people who are putting comments, I'm there giving advice, and I've come with well over 30 years' experience of doing this. For the way that the other group members offer support, the, the people have tried things and they've worked, and so they will offer those. They say we are the sum of the five people that we spend our, most of our time with. And if you spend, and there are certain rules within the group, and the group is that it's non judgmental. You might not agree with someone, all right, but nobody's going to put you down that people are there and they're open-minded and they want to try to give themselves the opportunity to have for a better quality of life. And what everybody's got in common in that group is that they, they want their quality of life to be better and they're prepared to support one another in that. But for the most part, the expertise in terms of strategies and uh, challenging people's thinking, that's done by me and my team. And we are very experienced. But nevertheless, ah. the support of people who are going through that um, is valuable too. Mm, so it's not yes. just a group of people who are just set off and go and do your own thing. Ah, right? okay. I run, I run the, um, the group coaching sessions. There's always a short presentation about a particular theme. And then people can be in the hot seat and have the opportunity to be coached. And the other thing about that is members of the group can put up um, uh, suggestions of things they'd like covered. So in the last group, we were looking um, at um, people who um, have been through trauma 
And so the whole session was around trauma and how to manage trauma. Um, and um, people within the group were able to say, look, I'm struggling with this. Can you help them? They had some coaching had coaching within the group and one of the rules of the group is anything that we talk about in the group is confidential to that group so it's a safe space where you can share anything so it's and not you just, know what um, it sorry, sounds like it sounds like i can i mean i can see where working in a group would help even if even if you weren't there people sharing ideas it's safe environment just for our listeners but that sounds like you're getting input from you people getting it's like uh support groups for people who've gone through trauma they found that it is just effective and in part you're not the only you see you're not the only one having this experience is extremely powerful what was interesting within the group of that particular, and different people come different times. Sometimes the groups are smaller, sometimes the groups are bigger. It just depends. They happen the first and the, the third Tuesday of every month. Um, what was really interesting is that there were people sharing things that nobody within the group was aware of until that point. They mm. felt safe enough to share them. And in sharing them and getting it out of their head and recognizing that they weren't alone and actually that it wasn't a shameful thing. Very often it was something that had been done to them and not by them, um, that that helped them put it into perspective and they went away in a, uh, in a much more resourced way to deal with, their, um, with the whatever had gone before and some tools um, to help them move forward. Can you share, as we're coming down to the last few minutes, three to four steps that you found to be effective at getting the word out about your books because the information shared in your books is certainly something I think a lot of people would benefit from? So the way that I do it, one's on the website, that's genuinely-u.com, and you can join the Genuinely You um, Facebook group. I'm uh, Genuinely You with Gina Gardner. There's a Facebook group. Uh, people can join that. I'm on LinkedIn. You'll find me there uh, under Genuinely You. Um, there's also a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of free resources on my website. There's a free TV show uh, series which looks at different themes, 13 different themes. Um, there's lots and lots of podcasts. I'm on YouTube. I'm on iTunes. Um, all of those things. And I've put out there a huge amount of free resources. But if you're interested in the Thrive Tribe, and it would be lovely if you could join us, um, then uh, go onto the website, genuinely-u, and you will find out how to join the Thrive Tribe. If you're interested in one-on-one coaching, um, it's the It's All About You program, you can find that on the website, genuinely-u. If you're a leader and you're interested in enlightened leadership, then the website is enlightenedleadership.co. So it's enlightenedleadership.co for leadership, but it's genuinely-u.com for everything else. And you'll find the leadership program in there as well. But there's just so much. What I've done over the last uh, few years is I have created lots and lots of stuff to help people and even if you just you know, initiated one or two of the strategies consistently, you will find that they will make a difference. 
Mm, thank you so much, Gina, Gina Gardner. And I have to ask you in closing, how can listeners get copies of your books? Would they go to Amazon? Would they go to your website? How can they get copies of Thriving, Not Surviving, Chariots on Fire, Kickstart Your Career, Eat Well, Live Well with Celtic Disease? We, have, we did, There were so many more questions I wanted to ask you, but we've run out of time. The Change, Eleven Insights, and the Self-Empowerment. How can people get copies of your books? They're all on the website and they're uh, and on Amazon. Uh, Thriving Not Surviving is available as an e-book, a paperback, a hardback, and as an audio. The others are all available as e-books and uh, paperbacks. So genuinely-u.com or on Amazon and other usual book places online. But those are the two most common ones. And uh, I'd love to hear from your readers what they thought. Um, and what would be fabulous if they read it and could put a review on Amazon, that would be incredibly helpful. We want to thank Gina Gardner for being here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. And, again, she is the author of, of, of – she's worked with programs and the Relationship Bridge, one of her uh, self-relationship self-impro- improvement programs, books, Thriving, Not Surviving, The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment, which she touched on the start of the show, Chariots, on fire, the winning formula for happiness and success. Kickstart your career, eat, le- eat well, live well with celiac disease, and the change of having insights into self empowerment. You can visit her, and I encourage you to online at genuinely you dot com. Genuinely, G E N U I N E L Y hyphen Y O U dot com. Genuinely you dot com. Gina Gardner, thank you for being here with us on Off the Shelf this morning to our listeners. Thank you for being with us. I, I, I see some people came in midway into the show. No worries. When it finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in its entirety. And you can also share with those who are looking to improve their lives. And who isn't looking to do that? Or somebody who feels like it's not even worth trying to improve their life because they feel stuck. You can share this with them. And maybe they can reach out to Gina and she can help them get unstuck so they can start to move forward in their life. I encourage you, and I say this every every Saturday, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina. I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. Thank you very much indeed for having me. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 